it was that night I received a text from my boss, who was the CEO of the company, and it was intended for that customer, not for me. And it was a text where he was just saying how worthless I was wow. to not to not come up to me so that he, I could use whatever brain power I had left. And and then her response to uh, pulling me from the account. And it was this realization for five to seven years, I did everything for these two people. And you could look back after five to seven years and then say, well, what did I just do everything, all this work for? Um, why? If you neglected your family, your friends, your health, you were just doing it for these two people. That was the realization. That was the tipping point that I said, that's not how I want to spend my life anymore. Um, I want to be able to do what I love doing, but do it for ourselves with the team um, and build something special. Welcome to the Drummer Force Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Chase Rosa, a former private equity analyst turned exponential performance coach and podcaster. This podcast will feature conversations with uniquely driven and authentic individuals across sports, business, and wellness who continue to achieve great things in their respective fields. By presenting their stories, uncensored and uncut, I hope to inspire you to take a step back, look within, and evaluate your path and journey. Today's guest is Michael Buckley. Michael is the co-founder and CEO of Cadence, an event experience software platform for event organizers and most importantly, their audience. In his previous role at another enterprise software company, Michael realized that it seemed like the most amount of positive impact they were having with their customers was on the event side. After conversations with others at the company who were also very passionate about events, him and some other employees decided to split off and form their own company focused solely on events. Now, they're aiming for the word cadence to become synonymous with event experiences. Apart from cadence, Michael also has some great perspective and thoughts on fitness and wellness to thrive in business. His daily routine is one that many would not picture for a software startup founder and CEO. In this interview, we discuss the impact the current pandemic situation has had on his business and the industry, when his passion for events really started to kick in, the jobs he held pre-cadence and how those experiences led to the founding of cadence, and of course, all things cadence and event management. And so without further ado, my interview with Michael Buckley. Uh, so how's everything been since we last chatted? I think it was a, a few weeks ago now. Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, since we last spoke about two weeks ago, I believe, uh, unfortunately, not too much has changed, uh, particularly we're based out of New York City. So that's unfortunately the epicenter of where everything is occurring. Uh, but I am optimistic that I think social distancing will kind of start to be relaxed around May 15th, June 1st, hopefully. Uh, but unfortunately for events and large gatherings, it's going to be quite a long time until we're about to start live events again. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And so have the restrictions around the pandemic in New York changed at all since we last spoke, or is it remain the same? Has it gotten even more severe? It's uh, exactly the same. Uh, New York, especially I live in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where it doesn't appear that many people take it too seriously as potentially they should. So if it happens to mm -hmm. be a, a nice day, a nice day in New York at this time would be about 60 degrees and sunny. You'll have a lot of people that still go to the parks and kind of congregate in large groups, uh, which I'm sure 
bothers quite a few people. Um, so I, it, I think it's going to kind of remain like that uh, until it's allowed to at least maybe open back up restaurants and bars where there's still a spacing limitation. Uh, but at the moment, it's still uh, exactly the same as it's probably been for about the last 30 days. Got it. Okay. And in being a founder and CEO of a company that's reliant heavily around large gatherings of people, how have you adjusted your focus in the current situation we're in? Uh, this has definitely been a huge learning lesson for me as a CEO. Um, I tend to be incredibly optimistic and always see the best case scenario. Uh, so when this kind of started, um, didn't think it would, you know, I, I thought, okay, well, this will start to get back to normal in April or May or June. Um, and pretty much everyone I spoke to across all industries really seemed like at the end of January, they were like, we're crushing it this year. This is going to be the most successful year of all time. And then two months later, the entire world's changed. Um, and we had just given everyone in the company raises. We had just hired four new team members. We had two offer letters out to new, two new customer success managers. Um, and I really kind of still thought this is really, everything's going to work out okay. Um, and our co-founders kind of really prodded me to flip my mindset a little bit and think about everything as if it's worst case scenario. So because we're an events indus uh, industry, what happens if live events don't come back, not just this summer, not just the fall and winter, but what if it really is one to two years uh, until a vaccine or a cure is approved by the FDA? Um, and that really started to kind of flip how we have to approach the way that we conduct our business. And we really started to focus on three different areas. Uh, one, any type of event, what is that experience like if it's virtual? Luckily, a lot of it still can remain the same in delivering learning, uh, education, connecting people that are part of your community or audience, uh, gathering insights from them um, through a lot of the audience engagement. So that was relatively easy to transition into the, the virtual events within Cadence. Uh, what was a little bit more tricky for us, I'd say about 80% of our revenue is entirely driven by customer engagement at events. So most of our companies okay. want to engage with I mean, sometimes hundreds of different customers at a large event, which could be like a, a South by Southwest or a medical Congress. And typically you have to align the customer's time because they have very limited time. You have to align the internal colleagues time. And there's can be a lot that are involved in the conversation. And this is all typically driven by the time zone of the event. So now how do we reach out to a customer through Cadence, and you can imagine it's kind of like an open table system where you can choose the date and time that works best for you. But now that customer has to see all time zones in their time zone where they live. And then the system has to look at every single employee's schedule in their time zones so we can then suggest the best time for these customer appointments to occur uh, globally. And that's been our biggest challenge, and that's been exhilarating to, to hopefully solve. Mm -hmm. So that you can have someone that's from uh, East Coast time zone, uh, Germany and Japan still have a time for their appointment that kind of works across all those individuals. So that's been obviously one of the big challenges. And then the third one, which I think many businesses are going through, is it's actually a time to take a step back, reflect on what's been working to date, maybe what's not been working, start to ideate, start to create, start to think about your operations, uh, your, especially on our side sales and marketing efforts to generate revenue, really focusing on our commercial website, 
um, our blog, our demos, things of that nature has really been how we've kind of transitioned during this time. Got it. Okay. That's interesting. And so are there certain types of events that are more suited than others to be held virtually that your platform can help, I guess, facilitate? I would say, I think there's two things that we've noticed. One, company events internally or any type of event where you're trying to deliver education or learning, that hasn't changed too much. And in some ways, there's a positive to it. You know, if I'm sitting in a large auditorium with you, with the presenter speaking, there's many other factors that could potentially distract you, which is the entire audience that's in the room, the lights, the noise, um, and then you're just kind of focusing on the speaker and the content as part of that overall experience. But now these virtual events, the content and the speaker really do become the star. So you do tend to become a lot more focused on the content and the education being presented and the ways that you can interact with it rather than the other factors. So I think that's one type of event. And then okay. anything that's kind of a community, I think almost like a Facebook groups and, and, and some of these other things that are more important than ever in regards to when people are working remotely or people that aren't necessarily working and really want a community to gather to just talk about what's going on in their life, um, connect with each other. Our platform started to really evolve that way last year because it's not just about the individual events, but it's about the companies or the communities or the event organizers that are organizing these events around a group of people. So really keeping those people connected throughout the year, not just at individual events, has been something that we've been incredibly pleased to see uh, during this time uh, over the last 48 weeks. Got it. Okay. And you mentioned to me in an email last week that Eventbrite laid off about 45% of its workforce, which is pretty staggering. Uh, it's crazy. Are the larger, maybe less agile companies in this space arguably having a harder time in the current environment compared to the smaller, more agile companies like Cadence? I, I believe it, it, it's definitely more difficult to create change or, or innovate at a faster pace at a larger corporation. And what's happened to Eventbrite, um, who's kind of one of our inspirations for what they're doing for the world of events, it's, it's so sad to see. I think they laid off about... 100,000 employees, unfortunately, particularly those focused on the music uh, events. And that's what our passion is internally as each team member at Cadence. So that's mm -hmm. sad to see. But I, I do think if you are more of a startup, you can be more nimble uh, in regards to how quickly you can iterate, ideate, create change, which does help, particularly when over the course of one to two weeks, everyone's trying to go virtual and do it in a unique, interesting way. Um, and it was also a learning lesson for me as a CEO. I think you should try to always consider the fact that you would want to have a 12-month runway. Um, again, thinking about that worst-case scenario. Right. Of course, like when you run through worst-case scenarios, you don't always say, well, if a global pandemic happens, what will happen to our company? Um, but it did happen. you know. So it's such an interesting learning lesson of this could have been over tomorrow. And that would have made me um, devastated, just not just for what we've worked so hard to create, but every single team member that's part of Cadence, all of our customers that love Cadence. So I have to start thinking more and more that way of, I don't want this to ever end. So how can you start to really structure your company, your finances, your product in a way that can account for something that potentially takes away your revenue for 12 months plus? Um, and that's kind of unfortunately what happens to Eventbrite. 
if you lose that, you know, I think it was $100 million, what happens as a result of that for your entire company and all your customers? Yeah, right. And would you say that now having the perspective of kind of looking at the potential worst case scenario or what <laughs> could go wrong is maybe one of the more, I guess, positive lessons you could say that this pandemic has, I guess, sure. gave you as a founder or CEO that can then benefit you when uh, when the dust settles on the current situation, whenever that might be? Yes. Yeah. And I think it, it really allowed us a time. Uh, and as I mentioned, I think other companies are probably really going to come out of this producing some of the best work they've ever produced because it kind of allowed us a time to take a step back, reflect, review everything, and then strategize and plan what's the next evolution of our company. So I think, you know, the last time that there was really a downturn, some of the greatest companies that we know today came out of that time, uh, such as your Airbnbs and your Ubers. Yep. And I expect there's going to be uh, a series of those companies that are going to come out of this uh, really making a difference in this world. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I guess so shifting away from, I guess, how the current situation is affecting uh, your company, um, I want to get into kind of your background and your story. Great. Uh, when do you think your passion around events really started to kick in for you? I think growing up in New York is one of the best places to be for events. You know, you're kind of at sure. the epicenter of music, arts, uh, culture, festivals of all sorts. Uh, but it was really specifically around music shows. Uh, and I attended a few uh, growing up, um, but it wasn't really until I graduated college that I started to really fall in love with festivals and music shows. And it's not just the music that uh, obviously has such a huge impact on my life, but it's more so the people that tend to go to those kind of events. You really start to notice the energy, the passion, the dancing, um, how open and giving um, and kind so many of these people are. And that's kind of how, like, the people I want to surround myself with. So I really love going to those type of events. And it's had such a profound effect on me and the way that I've kind of looked at the beauty within people. So that's really where my passion for events really started to kick in. Okay. And were you, would you say that you're, I guess, a natural or, or like, born entrepreneur? Like, were you one of those kids growing up that would be the one to start lemonade stands and... <laughs> Uh, have, right. have a journal of like business ideas that you would you would keep yeah you know i know those type of people really well um and they're fascinating to me because it's actually um a skill if you will or just a drive within them that i've actually never really had um so in that definition no i never really considered myself to be an entrepreneur um i never really thought i'd own my own company i never really thought necessarily i'd be a ceo um but I think some of the skills that maybe an entrepreneur has, I love problem solving. Um, I'm unafraid of making decisions or mistakes. Um, I'm very calm in stressful situations to the point that some of my colleagues have sometimes called me a sociopath. And then, <laughs> uh, and then uh, I have a ton of energy and positivity, like I mentioned. So I think that definitely contributes to being a good leader and then has definitely contributed to our company's success. Got it. Okay. And you ended up going to college at Tulane University? Yes. Yeah, great. In, in New Orleans. Uh, it was a fantastic time. Um, but you know what? I, I don't really think that college has structured much of who I've become, uh, nor do I think college makes too much sense in an education standpoint, which I know is a completely different topic. But uh, right. <laughs> it's something that I am passionate about because 
Cadence is really, you know, an enterprise events platform uh, meant for companies. And it kind of came out of the idea of employees really need education and development over time when it, they start as a new hire throughout their career at a company. What do I want to learn? How do I want to grow? And I think that there's some things that really can be done in, uh, within a corporate university, if you will, and then hopefully in universities in the future that actually really do deliver education and learning. I think college is a fantastic time to really learn who you are from a social standpoint, um, from a personal development, but not necessarily from maybe career development and professional development. Oh, that's super interesting. I think we share a lot of the same viewpoints on that. So maybe off offline we can or off this podcast, um, we'll have to chat on that. <laughs> because I, find I would that super love interesting to. I also find that super yeah, interesting. Talk for hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so while you're in school, were you someone who enjoyed like the classroom a lot or school a lot? Or were you more the type of person who kind of wanted to learn by doing and working? I enjoyed the classroom, but I think it was really interested in learning by doing. Um, I never really had too many mentors throughout my career. Uh, it was more so just trying to learning on the job. And I, I think in this case, um, I think if you really just j- j- like gr- grind in, start becoming a worker bee, really starting to get experience, um, you'll figure your way out. Um, and I, you know, because when I was in college, I really wanted to be in advertising. And uh, just because okay. the idea of the entertainment industry and consumer behavior, buyer buying patterns interested me so much. And my mother set up an interview with me with someone at Ogilvy, uh, which is like a huge um, advertising agency. And he told me something at that point that kind of forever changed my career outlook. He One, he, he flat out told me that I just don't have what it takes to be in advertising, <laughs> uh, which he wasn't wrong at all. I'm really, I appreciate that he said that. Um, but two, he told me, if you work in your 20s, it's really just to kind of find out where your passion lies and what you love doing the most. And over time, you'll start to realize things that are completely natural to you or easy. And once you find that area, you'll look around after a few years and you'll realize that it's coming easier to you than it seems to be coming to anyone else. And therefore, by your 30s, you'll end up being exactly where you want to be. Uh, and that's exactly what ended up happening in, in my career. So I, I'm so happy that this person told me that when I was probably uh, 18, 19, 20. And that's why I just got, got this mentality of just go right to work and just gain experience. Try to learn what uh, drives passion in your life, what interests you, and just follow that. Interesting. Okay. Have you ever reconnected with that person? No. No, I really, I, I would love to. I would actually, <laughs> uh, thank you for reminding me of that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to find out who he was, and then, yeah, and then thank him profusely for how he's shaped my career over the last twenty years. <laughs> yeah, that would be a cool conversation. Um, <laughs> uh, so it was never kind of your intention after graduation to begin immediately start working on a, a new company, right? No, no, I, you know, again, I wish I had that um, skill in some ways. You know, sometimes I think it. Um, Sometimes it really helps. Sometimes people kind of have that idea and they just want to jump immediately to like VC funding and how do I make this a company rather than like really fleshing out that idea or what customers think of that idea. Um, but no, it really wasn't something probably in, probably until my 30s that I realized, well, this is something 
that I really should take that leap and that step to try to create. Got it. Okay. And then moving ahead after you graduate, um, on your LinkedIn profile, I noticed a two-year gap or so uh, from graduation to when you listed your first job. Out of they might be just intentionally didn't. I don't feel like listing your first job, but what were you doing in those two years? <laughs> you know, that's a great question. Um, so I, I graduated college on a Friday, and I immediately started work on the Monday uh, following, uh, just kind of based on this idea of just start learning and getting the experience. And I actually worked for uh, WWE, the wrestling company. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, which which was like. Uh, my dream job because I was a diehard wrestling fan and it was actually an opportunity to work in their digital media department. Uh, and I reported directly into Shane McMahon, who's Vince McMahon's son for, for any wrestling fans out there. <laughs> so it was such a surreal experience. And in many ways, it was my dream. Um, they kind of were at the forefront of live streaming and on-demand video at the time. And they were the ones that kind of really came out with apps where instead of going through cable and pay-per-view, you start paying that $9.99 model to WWE for all their pay-per-views and you start to see like the NFL and NBA and all these other sports organizations kind of follow them. Um, so I really looked up to them in that regard and I was probably 22 at the time. They tasked me with building their first ever fantasy wrestling uh, game from the ground up because like sports fantasy was so popular. So I was 22 years old coming up with like wild point systems, like 25 points if wrestler hits the, another wrestler with a chair, 50 points for throwing <laughs> through a table or... 100 points if they draw blood, which uh, actually got declined by them once I suggested it. But um, the learning lesson I found from that job was my passion for that industry was maybe almost too strong where in the art forming, and it kind of ran counterintuitive to the way that the company was being operated. So sometimes when you're those employees that is just so overly frustrated or stressed by the way the company's being run, and then you feel that way every single day and you do give suggestions, but nothing really seems to change. It's not really a great place for you to be, uh, not just for yourself, but probably for the company, too, because you're becoming negative culture, probably in some ways. Um, so it was about after 18 months, uh, I decided to leave and it was about a two hour commute each day from Brooklyn to Stanford, Connecticut. So that also contributed to it. And I guess I never really put it on my LinkedIn, maybe because either I felt embarrassed or was just disappointed about my journey there. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't feel embarrassed about that. Really <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> it was a great time. Yeah. Um, and then after that, you landed a job as an account manager at a company called Impact Communications. Yes. Yes. And they were kind of like a medical agency that was producing a lot of content, technology, and events for the pharmaceutical industry, um, which is interesting is how your career path, certain things happen when you go to each company that kind of leads you to where you're ultimately starting to come. Because, you know, for us, it led to technology and events. And our biggest customers are all pharmaceutical companies. So it really kind of did start in my 25 to 27 range um, at this company. It was uh, about 100 employees, which is the largest company I've ever been a part of. I've typically been part of companies that were anywhere from 10 to 50 employees, kind of more of that startup world. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually really loved the dynamics of a 100-person-plus company because you had all these different defined departments that were all contributing to the company's success. Um, 
And this company really focused on the events world, which I knew nothing about at the time. So it was really my first taste of it, and, and I loved it. Um, actually, was dated a colleague there uh, who led their events team, and I really loved seeing and understanding all the factors that went into what she did from a logistics standpoint, uh, because there's so many different groups that you have to align and so many different activities that go into it. That's like the the venue booking, the flights, the ground transportation, the materials, the content, the food and beverage. There's so much that relates to what the people go through. Um, and I think event planning's the, the fifth most stressful job in the world, <laughs> which makes <laughs> sense because of all those factors. So uh, really started to develop a love for the industry and empathy for those event organizers um, and their travel lifestyle, I think is so fascinating too. So I, I really started to get the, the travel bug by being part of this company uh, in regards to events. Okay. And what did you not enjoy about that role? Um, you know what? I really think there were, I, I loved most aspects of it. You know, I think, okay. um, I don't think it's always when you're at a job throughout your career that, um, you leave because you're just dissatisfied or unhappy or you want something different. Um, I think sometimes I think the same thing about relationships too, but you could have an incredible mm -hmm. period of time, um, whether it's a career or relationship that's so important to you and you loved it and uh, who it made you coming out of that. And then there's just the next chapter of your life. And I, I think that's what it was with this company. Got it. Okay. Um, and what knowledge or maybe insight did you gain from that job that's helped you in your role and as founder and CEO uh, now of Cadence? I think it would have been that those defined departments, um, the defined departments contributing to the company's success and really kind of understanding what the workflow and operations were internally between departments that led to that success is something that really st stuck with me. So when I started Cadence, a lot of people typically say, with startups, everyone wears a million hats. And I was very mm -hmm. conscious to go the complete opposite way, where I still wanted very specific departments for product, customer success, design, um, marketing, sales, and really have those individuals get to focus on that specific area. There's some team members that have hybrid roles, which is intentional, but in general, uh, those that are designing really get to focus on creating cutting edge design uh, and don't have to worry about the other factors. We share across departments a ton with this knowledge transfer and communication, but we don't typically ask team members to do too many things out of their specific department or job role. Interesting. Okay. And so you leave that job at impact. Um, I think right at the time the great recession started. Yeah. Um, so how big of an impact did the recession have kind of on, uh, your career, your career trajectory? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty ignorant when it comes to most of the things that tend to happen in the outside world quite often, uh, <laughs> with, with news, uh, and politics and environment and the financial market. And those are things that are, is a downside maybe to some of my skills as a CEO, because if I was more aware of these things, you can proactively plan and see the way that the markets are shifting or industries are shifting. Um, but there's also the benefits of not being really sidetracked by what's going out and external factors and really only focusing on what you can control. So uh, I wasn't 
it, it didn't really impact me too much because I wasn't uh, as aware of it as, as I probably should have been. I was really just focused on um, just doing as great of a job as I could at the career I was kind of trying to build. Interesting. Okay. So it's kind of like it wasn't the event itself is kind of like your interpretation and reaction to the event that was, I don't know, more important for you, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. It, it does. Yeah. Okay. And so you move into this new uh, role uh, doing product development for uh, for this new company. What what was involved in your role in, in kind of product development? This was that aha moment that um, the gentleman from Ogilvy had kind of said may occur at some point. And um, it was the first week I was there. And this is some of the benefits of being part of a startup they asked me immediately just to design an entire system. And it was like two days into the job (laughs) and um, nothing about it was overwhelming. It was purely exhilarating. So uh, we used a platform called OmniGraffle, which is a a wireframing platform for anyone that's kind of in the the design world or the the product um, development world. And I knew within a few hours of using OmniGraffle that I'd found what my calling was. Um, It's, the idea of hearing a customer's problem and then starting to think through the ideas and the requirements in order to kind of really then design it and lay it out based upon the functions of what they need. I, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, I loved it. And I loved just playing around with the different layouts and all the different features that you could put into technology. Interesting. Okay. It, I guess there's this, almost like this, I guess maybe saying, uh, if you will, of you have these CEOs, you have the you have this the financial CEO who maybe used to be a CFO who's more into like the numbers, and then you have the sales CEO, and then you have the product, uh, I guess oriented CEO. Would you say it sounds like for you you're, you're more leaning towards kind of the the product oriented? I guess without it, yeah, with, without a doubt, and I, I would describe myself a little bit more as the introspective type B entrepreneur versus the extroverted type A. Uh, And those do tend to often come from people that have the amazing sales background or the amazing marketing background, um, where mine's a little bit more on design product and customer success, you know, kind of project management starting. Um, And that's kind of how our company's grown is through product design and customer success. And now it's really trying to bring the next level to our company in marketing and sales. Right. And so how far into this new role did you start having inklings, uh, I guess, of starting a company like Cadence? I think it was probably within the first three to four years. I became uh, director of product development at the company. And I was creating at that time over 10 enterprise platforms simultaneously. Uh, I was (laughs) leading the entire customer success department, which was kind of the project management department. I was doing most of the operations and the sales. And um, I think most people at that level of stress might have kind of destroyed them a little bit. Um, But I I still enjoyed every single moment, despite how crazy uh, everything was was there. And the culture of the team members was incredible. Um, And we'd often sit around with each other talking after work uh, and just wondering, you know, what if we got to do this together uh, the way we wanted to without the really terrible decisions being made by the company? 
And that was probably the first moment that the thought really started to creep into my mind. What if? Right. And so what, what was eventually kind of that tipping point for you to say, let's start building this, I guess, events platform? Well, my career was starting to take off around this time um, because of all the kind of systems that we were building. Um, but at the same time, my mother was diagnosed with cervical cancer and she battled it for over five years. And this was really at the time that my career was taking off. And during this time, she never once complained, uh, not once over the course of five years. And she never mm -hmm. asked for anything from me during this time. And she was one of the most amazing, like trailblazing tech COOs um, in her career. So I've always aspired to kind of make her proud and kind of follow in her footsteps. And I think she never wanted to bother me in any way, even with her own battle with cancer, because she knew what it was like to try to reach a certain level within technology or your career. And she didn't want to concern me or stress me out. I wish she had, um, but mm -hmm. she didn't. And it was during this time also that to try to keep up with all the work and the stress, I ran myself into the ground. You know, I was neglecting my health, my diet, my girlfriend, my friends, neglecting my family, which was including my, my dying mother. Mm -hmm. um, and that actually wasn't even the tipping point, sadly. Um, I had built most of these systems for one customer in particular. Um, and I had developed a great relationship with her over five to eight years. And um, I also loved my boss, uh, despite how crazy some of the things that we did were. He was an ideator. He was a creator. And we would sit around all the time and just talk about these what if big ideas. And I was working so hard for these two people in particular, uh, my boss and my biggest customer. And uh, we had the biggest event of our company's uh, career at that point. It was a product launch for this customer. Uh, it was 2,500 uh, attendees. It was a huge product launch with critical launch materials for every employee to read. And we were also launching an iOS and iPad version of their biggest enterprise system at the same event. And the first day of the event, the servers went down. The only time in my entire wow. career that the servers have gone down at the worst possible moment. And it, pure panic. You have all these stakeholders from the company running to find you, to, to scold you, shame you, ask you, how is this going to get fixed? Uh, I think at this time I was probably chain smoking like five cigarettes a minute uh, just to kind of <laughs> deal with the stress of this all. And, um, you know, luckily got through it. But it was that night. I received a text from my boss, who was the CEO of the company, and it was intended for that customer, not for me. And it was a text where he was just saying how worthless I was wow. to not to not come up to me so that he, I could use whatever brain power I had left. And and then her response to uh, pulling me from the account, and it was this realization. For five to seven years, I did everything for these two people. And you could look back after five to seven years and then say, well, what did I just do everything, all this work for? Um, why? If you neglected your family, your friends, your health, you were just doing it for these two people. That was the realization. That was the tipping point that I said, that's not how I want to spend my life anymore. Um, 
I want to be able to do what I love doing, but do it for ourselves with the team um, and build something special. Wow. So, so did, I guess, did your boss, I guess, realize he sent, I mean, he must've realized he sent it to the, that text. To the wrong, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I texted him back and I said, you know, I think you meant this for the customer name. And, uh, we've always kind of had a contentious relationship after that. Uh, I still love him. Uh, still, still love him to this day and still love him then. Uh, even though maybe I shouldn't have, I understand where his stress has come from or kind of the way he ticks, but it was maybe the customer that affected me a little bit more too. Um, because I had, those that was really who I was spending all those late nights and thoughts to try to build, and I was that's something I've carried with me uh, to Cadence, which is unusual for a startup. If the customer doesn't seem like the right fit based upon all your conversations, or if they're treating you a certain way, even as a startup, you might need to fire the customer if it's what's best for your company. And it always seems so crazy to turn down revenue, but that was one of the realizations that sometimes you need to um, in order for stress management, overall happiness, and to really focus on building relationships with customers that really matter. Right. And so were you, while you're at this job, were you on the side working on, on Cadence uh, with a couple other people? Or was it, I guess, did you break away from that company and then start working on it? So it, it, this is, a, this could be a book in itself with how crazy this kind of all came to be. But the Part of what we had been doing within these uh, enterprise world was the events. And, you know, maybe 75% of the employees were like, man, we, we see what's happening with the events. It seems like where the most impact is happening and the amazing feedback from customers. Why don't we focus just on that? And um, again, the, the CEO, wonderful idea, man. And I think that's part of the issue is when you have a million ideas, you want to focus on all those ideas. <laughs> Versus, no, let's really just keep it focused on events. So everyone really wanted to focus just on the event side. And that's where, uh, you know, I thought this really should be its own company and focus just on the event side. And a lot of the engineers that were contractors for the company, their passion was really on the event side as well, too. So um, we had conversations and we thought, you know, let's sp uh, split off and let's kind of create our own company together focused on building the best event platform we can. Right at the same time, the company um, that I was at got their first round of funding, which I think was about an $8 million round um, from a equity company. And you had all these new COOs, CEOs, um, head of sales, head of customer success come in from these larger companies and they wanted to, they knew that we were looking to branch off and essentially be creating a competitor to their company. Mm -hmm. And they really wanted us to stay. And I was intrigued by it because, again, I just, I want to learn. So if I felt like I could, the best place for me to learn was by these new C suite individuals, then I was intrigued by it, even though I knew the opportunity to start my own business. Um, but once we really got to know and talk to those individuals, it was pretty clear that we, there was nothing that we could learn from them. So we did, you know, make that decision. We are leaving within six months. And it was such a weird time because everyone in the company knew we were leaving to start a competitor. But they also wanted us to stay working for three months to kind of really transition uh, the new funding company kind of into the company. So it was a, an incredible six to 12 months. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, right. And then moving to Cadence now, maybe um, just for the people listening, provide a quick overview of Cadence and the platform would be great. Sure. Yeah, it's um, it's an event experience platform uh, for event organizers, and then most imp- importantly, their audience. Uh, you know, you'll see a lot of other systems, kind of like Eventbrite, and others that really do a great job in doing event registration, getting the audience excited for the event, register for it. But there tends to be a drop off once the event actually begins. So we really wanted to focus on the experience for the audience. And there's some of the craziest things that we've built into this system based upon a lot of the ideas that started generating, you know, six to nine years ago. Um, And now a lot of it is actually a reality. Um, Yeah, I know a lot of times you hear VCs or people say, uh, don't try to create a platform that does everything. Um, But Kobe also said, you know, you got to shoot your shot. So we, uh, in, in, a, in the platform, we kind of have a, a live feed that's almost like an Instagram or Twitter just for conversations within your event. We have almost like a Slack um, for the direct messaging and the group messaging. We have an incredible survey engine. So you have all that survey monkey stuff in there. We have incredible material distribution to the audience. So you have a little bit of that Dropbox or pocket type functionality in the platform. And... Um, we really, really want to focus on the attendees' experience in receiving learning and education, um, giving insights back to the event organizer. I think it's probably the most valuable thing you could do. What were your questions? What were your takeaways? What were your thoughts? What was your feedback? Yeah. Connecting the people, which is something that we're really interested in progressing forward this year. How can you connect people that are maybe two completely different people or they're very similar, but you typically wouldn't break the ice anyway. If you have a thousand people going to an event, so many of these people have shared interests or similarities. How can you connect them together so that they stay close even after the event ends? And then how can you capture the moments that happen across these amazing events? The photos, the videos, the thoughts. Those four areas are the things that we really, really try to focus on with Cadence. Got it. And... So why did you ultimately decide to go with um, a freemium model and what are the main features or feature that are included in the premium suites that causes users to jump to a paid subscription? Now we, so our, our company is, is obsessed with events, each, each one of the individual employees in regards to the different events that they go to and music festivals as examples, but comedy shows and all these other type of events And we never really necessarily built Cadence from the ground up for that market. It was really meant for the enterprise market. Um, But over time, as we developed these features, we realized these features work perfectly for other event experiences like trips, parties, weddings, an entrepreneur trying to create networking events. Sure. And is there a way that we can give this to those individuals so that they can bring events to as many people as possible and bring people into their lives without cutting into the value that we're bringing for large conferences and enterprise events. Um, and we found that we could do that. So the free version is your schedule, your people, material distribution, uh, the live feed to have all those moments captured, the direct messaging and notifications. But then there's that cutoff point that then goes towards the enterprise or large conferences 
where audience engagement is really important with like competitions, live polling, asked questions, live presentations, customer engagement is really important with appointment scheduling, lead scanning, customer database, sponsorships are really important for those large conferences. Mm -hmm. And that really became, it's always the hardest thing to figure out is the pricing. But once we really started to lay it out kind of like in a column structure, wow, we really can have an, an essential free version that does not cut into our premium model of any of our existing customers. So that's what we're really setting out to do this year is bring that essential version to as many people that want to bring people into their lives at events through Cadence. Right. And so how do you differentiate your platform from the other event management platforms out there? Well, I, I hate to disparage other competitors of ours, but I think the, one of the biggest things is, is the user interface and design and the actual experience for the attendee and the onboarding. We've always joked, and it, it, it's one of the, the biggest markets in the world in regards to how much revenue gets generated at and spent at events. And I, don't, you know, to be honest with you, there's not a real competitor of ours that really impresses me from a design standpoint. It, it seems like mm -hmm. all these companies kind of had design workshops or sessions where they thought about the persona of who they're designing it for, and they said, "Let's just build this for middle-aged white corporate males." In, in the world and that's what almost every event app looks like it looks like it's it's static it's sterile it doesn't kind of really have much life to it doesn't tend to use much imagery which is crucial for our purposes we believe because we think imagery evokes an emotional connection to either the event the schedule the people so we really try to leverage quite a bit of that um, but you'll see it when you use cadence how much care we put into the onboarding, the design, the, the typography, the colors, the imagery. That's where I think we've really differentiated ourselves from the market. Got it. Okay. Uh, how would you describe the culture at Cadence? <laughs> well, this could get me probably in trouble. I, I would, I, <laughs> but I think it's actually also on our commercial website. I really think of us as maybe passionate degenerates in some way. Um, <laughs> we, we call ourselves family and it really does honestly feel like that. We're, we're 11 people in the U.S. Uh, company, uh, three in our Barcelona office and 25 in our Ukraine office. And almost every single person that's at this company has worked together in the past or are friends or recommendations from the original team members. So we've gotten incredibly lucky in that regard, but they're all incredibly hardworking, passionate problem solvers that are so customer driven. They're always thinking big. And I think the huge part of the culture is we also love being vulnerable, sharing emotionally with each other. We live all aspects of our life together. <clears throat> As an example, we, we spent an entire month in Barcelona last September, just in one apartment. Wow. Um, and nobody, nobody wanted to kill each other. There, there were certain moments <laughs> with the cleanliness of the apartment, but everyone looks back at it so fondly um, and hoping that it can happen again. And I really think that almost any one of these 40 people that make up Cadence, any one of them can go out to lunch or dinner with another one and just have an incredible time. So I think that is such a huge part of building a successful company is the culture, which I know everyone of course says, but it really does make the day-to-day -day happiness and drive um, huge within your company when you have a strong culture. Yeah, that's awesome. 
and kind of that culture around, I guess, like what, like you said, um, vol- being vulnerable or have that, having that vulnerability with each other and having that be okay is definitely something that's not a common theme throughout other companies. So it's uh, interesting that uh, it's part of your culture. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to mention one part about this because I think many companies sure. could really do many of the same things. I was just listening to uh, the CEO of Basecamp um, that also created Ruby on Rails. I forget his full name, but he shared a lot of the same thoughts um, because in, in particular, uh, remote work um, that I think is great for everyone to read, especially during this times where many companies are forced to work remotely uh, when they didn't necessarily intend to initially. But we tend to really value having those one-on-ones on Mondays. We have company workshops on Wednesdays where any employee can kind of suggest an idea, a problem to solve, a feature idea, an operations improvement, SOP. And I just got off one for two hours before this where it was just incredible um, having everyone on the on the phone really ideating and reviewing our platform. And then on Fridays, we have company meetings. And I took this from everything that was wrong in my previous company, where I would be sitting right next to someone and have no idea what they're working on, or I don't know what design's doing, product's doing, customer success doing, sales doing, marketing's doing. And we really try to solve that one through those company meetings, which you can almost like an all hands meeting on Fridays, where every single team member gets to or department has a show and tell where they get to show the work that design did, product did, customer success insights, marketing did, to have that knowledge transfer, which is quite important, but then also have those moments for reflection. How are people doing? Is there a problem that anyone has? How are our stress levels? What are you planning on doing this weekend? Just really developing a human connection to the team within a corporate environment, if you will, I think is so paramount to a company's success. So I would really stress for any other uh, company out there, CEO, entrepreneur, try to inject that as much as you can into your company. Um, and there's something really nice that we just started using called Know Your Team, which I think is really cool where you can, a question gets posed once a week to the entire company that everyone can answer. And those can be social questions, emotional questions. What are you doing this weekend? Anything that helps, again, develop a connection and a real human uh, understanding of each person that it is that you work with, I think is is a fantastic way to to incorporate into your company. Hmm. That's that's super interesting. And what was the reasoning behind including a yearly stipend for professional development? Um, That's that's pretty interesting. And how have you seen that pay off? I think it has a little bit to do with what, again, the guy from Ogilvy told me uh, 20 years ago where he said, really find what strikes a passion in you. Just kind of try to learn as much as you can. And eventually things will become clear about what you want to do. And I think the yearly stipend for professional development, which is essentially like unlimited books, um, attending conferences, workshops, are really one of the most important ways to help that employee grow. And I'm fully aware and, and do promote, there's a good chance that I hire a marketing manager, they start to really play around with the things that interest them the most, and all of a sudden they want to become a designer. And we're going to help support them becoming that because it doesn't make sense just to keep that individual as a marketing manager if their passion really is design. 
or I might have a, a lot of employees, which mm-hmm. I hope are part of Cadence that go off to then create their own companies that hopefully Cadence can maybe be a part of. But I don't want to create an environment where the individual is not growing to exactly who they're supposed to become. And I think putting money towards their professional development that's not tied to their salary is really important for them having purpose and finding happiness um, in their life as they learn and grow. Wow, that's uh, that's really great. And in interacting with you and John through email, John being your marketing manager, uh, are you very intentional in being a little different with your word choice and how you end emails? Like an example would be like with gratitude. Um, you know, from the world <laughs> I came from in, in private equity, it's it's quite a noticeable difference. So I was wondering if there's uh, any intention there. You know, you know, not consciously, but you know, I, I mentioned it before that I, I think, I think. 90 plus percent of our company is what you might consider to be type uh, B personalities that may be a little bit more introspective. Um, And I think some of that does shine through in the thought or care that a lot of our team members give in their responses to each other, but also to the customers. So that's part of what with gratitude is for me, because I do truly feel blessed um, in the interactions we get to have with our customers and team. So I, I, that, that definitely is part of the reason why, I think, which I just finished reading Super Pumped uh, about Uber's rise, which was one of the craziest books I've ever read. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of seems like it's um, the, the, the social network just uh, you know hyped up. Um, and it's just so fascinating, the difference between that private equity uh, type A, attack everyone that's in your way to dominate <laughs> mentality versus... <Yeah. laughs> what we're trying to create and listen, they're one of the most successful companies of all time. So they're obviously doing something right, but we're, we are trying to go about uh, building uh, our company and our relationships in a different way. Yeah. It was almost like, uh, it was almost like a breath of fresh air <laughs> getting, reading your, <laughs> reading John and, and your emails, uh, the ones that I would just be getting at work. It was just like lots of, lots of ending sentences with periods and best and, you know, all of that. So interesting. <laughs> um, so have you taken yeah, John, on... John's fantastic, as you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I love John. Have you taken on any <laughs> any outside funding? And if not, why? You know, I we think about this quite a bit. And I, I do think there will be a time in the future where if we want to bring cadence to as many people across the world as possible, capital may really be required at that point. Um, however, at this point, it's been really important to myself, the, the co-founders, the employees, to build something at a more measured pace, uh, really focused entirely on listening to our customers and our internal team. And I've lived through funding gone wrong um, at that last company. You know, I mentioned that they got $8 million um, raise and they went out of business um, less than a year later, um, you know, with an $800,000 wow. a month burn rate, yep. hiring, hiring tons of employees without thinking at all about, well, what's our actual product that we are giving to our customers? You know, you hire six customer success managers when you only have one customer or you, or you hire all these C-suite people before you've even really built something of value. So I, I've, I've seen it gone wrong. So I am so hesitant to really go down that route. And there's companies that like SurveyMonkey and others that are inspirations to us that just focus on building an incredible company based entirely on revenue and profit rather than uh, funding. 
Right. So it's probably also enabled you to be maybe even a little bit more agile, um, kind of with your decisions to not have those outside investors to maybe, or a lot of outside investors to kind of answer to or, or respond to. Yes. But th- there will be a time whether we take on uh, capital or it's just great advice within an advisory board. Sure. There's still so much that we just don't know and are so interested in knowing. And we spend so much time trying to learn it and research it again through that personal development of books, podcasts, um, conferences. But to have someone be kind of your advisor, which can be through VC eventually, that has said, hey, by the way, this is how you scale the platform to a million concurrent users rather than tens to hundreds of thousands. This is how you market and, and get established in other countries. You know, we're conscious of we do want to get there as a company. And in order to get there eventually, that may be through capital or just amazing advice from true partners. Right. So taking kind of a more calculated, cautious approach to raising capital rather than taking maybe the road more commonly traveled where you kind of raise a lot as much feces money as you can to fuel hyper growth, let's say. Right. right. Or to, to figure out your product after you've taken incredible amounts of money <laughs> for as many people as possible through that hyper growth. Yeah. <laughs> right. So if I put on my private equity analyst hat and right. <laughs> I take a look at, <laughs> I take a look at event software and the alarms start to go off in my head around kind of cyclicality, customer retention, um, stickiness, et cetera. Uh, what's your, what's your response on people's concerns around those points? I think it's definitely founded in, in many ways where when you're look, trying to look at reoccurring revenue, it's a little bit difficult when it's event based and there's ebbs and flows to when you choose to have them, especially when there's then a global pandemic where most people aren't having events. Um, but the market itself is massive in regards to how important events are to, to the world. And whether those are going to be live or virtual, it does appear to be that more and more companies are choosing to spend their marketing uh, allocation towards events more so than some of the more traditional ways that marketing dollars were going. So I do okay. anticipate that marketing dollars will continue to rise more and more towards events. And technology is still not yet leveraged to the degree it will be used within the events industry. So I do think that is um, going to rise. But I, even before uh, the coronavirus, more and more companies were going virtual uh, to save money. Because a lot of times you would traditionally have regional meetings and things of that nature where it just doesn't make as much financial sense to always be flying like 50 employees um, with all their flights and the... Uh, airfare, the, obviously the hotel, the food and beverage, um, and taking them off of work versus doing this virtual. So I do think virtual um, w- is here to stay, whether it is through this uh, pandemic or not. Uh, more and more events will be going virtual. Right. Okay. What keeps you up at night as a founder and CEO of Cadence? You know what? Uh, not too much anymore. Uh, when I was at my <laughs> last company, I was always going to sleep quite late, always stressed about have I given enough detail to the engineering team, my customers, my team members. And I think we've luckily gotten into a really, really good rhythm um, of making sure that every person knows exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And not really just for tomorrow, but for my week, 
next week, following week, this quarter, utilizing things you know like Google's OKRs. Um, but also, we use Asana internally within our platform, and I could not recommend that any higher to any other company out there. It's just completely transformed the way that we operate and have visibility across the entire organization into the work to be done tied to our strategic objectives and goals. So I, I really, honestly, now I can just go to sleep at ease knowing that the next day everyone has clarity, um, which causes them feeling more purpose and more happiness. So I usually go to sleep at 9, 10 p.m. nowadays um, quite easily, awesome. which is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's your ultimate vision for Cadence? We would love event experiences just to become synonymous uh, with the word Cadence. Um, the moments that people experience, uh, the people that they get connected with, the ways that they learn, the ways that they become inspired. We believe that Cadence, anyone that attends an event that utilizes Cadence is going to have that kind of experience and more and more um, we will become synonymous with the audience and the organizers knowing that Cadence should be part of this event if we want it to be at that level. And, uh, you know, we're really rolling this out for more and more types of events. So we really believe that we can change the way that people experience weddings. Uh, again, uh, wedding registration is a huge part. But what's the experience for the guests that go to these weddings? And there's different types of events all across the world that these experiences are so amazing once the event occurs and then afterwards. So we really want to become synonymous with event experiences across all different types of events. Got it. That's uh, that's awesome. And uh, thanks to thanks to John Kennard for this next question. Um, what are your <laughs> What are your thoughts uh, around fitness and wellness to to thrive in business? Uh, I'm extremely passionate about this, based on how what I mentioned that I kind of really um, let myself go in that last company where I was working. 12 hour days and, and neglecting nutrition, health, uh, exercise, wellness. And I really wasn't getting anywhere because I was just working really hard, but I wasn't really working on the right things. Uh, I, I didn't have mental clarity, focus, energy levels were low. So I think sleep and fitness are probably the two most important things that you could possibly do. Um, there's a lot that I, I, I'll, I actually have an article that I've written that I'll, I'll send off to you in case you wanted to include this in the show notes in any way, but yeah, that'd be great. a lot of the, the sleep hacks that have really changed the way that I sleep, um, the, the exercise, yoga, breathing, meditation, uh, walks, all these things that I think are so paramount to being at the optimal level, uh, as a uh, manager, leader, or CEO for your business. Got it. Okay. I guess it kind of leads into my next question. What's your daily routine? And let's go pre-pandemic situation. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. Um, I think, you know, as I mentioned a little bit with the the OKRs, ideally any employee within any department, if they're able to know what they can possibly be doing this quarter to drive the company forward, which then leads to the month, the week, and the day, I really try to focus my morning. The first thing when I wake up, I do not check email, Slack, Asana. And I have one most important task for my day that's already been aligned the day before or weeks before. And I just go right into that zone. Uh, I'll obviously grab some iced Americano or, or, uh, or tea, green tea, chaga mushrooms, anything that kind of gets me a little bit of caffeine, of course, 
I highly recommend a one to two hour playlist for music that also can really get you into that zone of deep focus. Uh, I think really, really helps too. And I really just spend about 90 minutes to two hours focused on that most important task. After that's done, that's when I'll actually start uh, my first meal. So my team kind of jokes that that's like when Michael's feeding window begins. Um, <laughs> but it's typically around like 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. I find that if I eat earlier than that, I might lose some of that mental focus. So I do try to do what you, you know the intermittent fasting of eat, starting to eat at 10 a.m. and stopping at 6 p.m. or eating at 12 p.m. and stopping at 8 p.m. Try to have that eight-hour window. I'll then... Do most of my meetings, I'll always try to batch starting from 11 a.m. on, uh, where I'll also try to do what might be considered more um, busy work, if you will. Some of the operational things, financial things, um, project management things that I do. Uh, and then I think the workout is really important. For me, what's worked best is either during the lunchtime or um, your body is really most ready to kind of give that great exercise in the late afternoon. So that's when I'll try tend to have a lift session and or yoga during that time frame, and then ideally completely turn off after that. I think it's really important for you to be able to reset for the next day for you to get rolling again um, from a mental clarity standpoint. I think it's really important. So again, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive to what you hear so many people say about CEOs that they're working 80 to 120 hours a week where I have yeah. <laughs> much more philosophy for myself and for all the team members, you know, if you do a great job and you finish your really important task, then the rest of the day, you've kind of achieved what you need to achieve. You need to go take a walk, go hike, uh, yoga, meditate, um, whatever it may be for you read. Um, really focused on that, I think is quite important uh, in order to really perform at an optimal level. Interesting. Okay. And bringing this back to the name of the podcast, uh, the Driving Force <laughs> podcast, what's, uh, what's been your driving force uh, throughout your life so far? And maybe, I guess, more, more specifically, kind of for you as an entrepreneur and CEO of Cadence? Sure. I think this has come to, come to fruition much more in the last five years. But I, I think when you could actually really have an effect on someone's life, it's probably the most incredible feeling possible. And I'm not a parent, but I believe that's probably why people love being a parent so much is this effect that you can have in really bringing someone uh, to ultimately who they want to become. So for me, that's everything that has been for in creating Cadence um, is seeing the effect that each team member uh, that I can have on each team member and, and their transformation is stunning to me, not just within two years, but some people within a period of weeks or months. So I think for anyone that, again, that's a manager out there, a leader, an entrepreneur, having that ability to help cultivate someone to become ultimately who they want to become and be incredibly happy, um, that development in reaching who they were meant to become is definitely the ultimate driving force in every single thing that I do. That's awesome. Well, I think we can wrap this up, but I guess before we do, uh, what pieces of advice would you like to leave um, some of the people listening who might have this idea of a business to start, but aren't really sure when the right time is to start working on it? Hmm. I would, um, I like the idea quite a bit of really testing your idea, the, the hypothesis behind it, 
in any way that you can get feedback, whether it is from direct customers, which would be the most valuable thing you could do, but it could also just be from friends, family, um, loved ones. I've seen too often when you are going to start a business that not enough thought goes into, is this something that people want? And also then getting feedback, which often can lead to that idea transitioning into ultimately what the company is supposed to become. So for anyone that's out there that has just an incredible idea, start to ask people about it, start to get feedback, um, start to ask the questions of, is this something that you would use? Is this something that you would buy? Do you have any feedback on where this can go? Uh, And then you're really going to start to understand exactly what it is that you're creating. Awesome. I think it's uh, a good place to end. Uh, Michael, thanks again for coming on the show. This was great. Thank you so much, Chase. This was wonderful. Where can people go if they want to learn more about Cadence, like website, social media, and so on? So it is uh, eventcadence.com. And that's probably the best place to go because it links out to all of the social media. For anyone that's out there that wants to bring people into their life to the events that happen throughout their days, weeks, months, again, the free version is there for you. So feel free to jump in. We always love your feedback, your ideas. So just go right to eventcadence.com and take a look. Awesome. Um, And you all can also visit my website, chaserosa.com, and follow me on Instagram at chaserosa4 for updates on new episodes and on my endurance training journey. Thanks, everyone who's listening, and see you next time.